As you get open your Bible, though, uh, I know we didn't get as much of a warm-up, right? That's sometimes how we view worship, and so maybe our, flo- our blood's not flowing as much. And so I, got, I want you guys to do a little Simon Says with me, uh, get some of you out of your uh, comfort zone a little bit. So I want you to first, uh, everybody, just put your hands out in front of you. I'm going to stand here awkwardly till we all do it. No, just joking. Uh, so put your hands out in front of you. Um, and then uh, I want you to say, like, okay, put your hands up here. Like, don't, like, don't hit me. Like, be careful. Like, don't, like. Okay, we're there. Okay, now I want you to think about like you're carrying a big screen TV, like out here, like real big. Everybody get out there, get in your person's space, like the personal space of the other person. Okay, now like your football team, who's excited football starts this week, college football. Let's see it, let's see college football, baby. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So congratulations, you just walked through the progression of worship. I tricked you, that was a bait and switch for sure. But now you can say that you've done it. And so here's the thing. At some churches, when you raise up your hands like this, when we're singing, you get promoted to the prayer team immediately. In <laughs> uh, other churches, if you just kind of put your hand up like nobody, if you put your hand up like that, you're probably going to be in the pastor's office because you need to have a talking to, right? And so he, here's the great news at Bayou City Fellowship. There's freedom here. Amen. I don't know if you heard me. There's freedom here. And so we don't believe in cookie-cutter Christians, just like we don't believe in cookie-cutter uh, worship styles. Uh, there is freedom in this place. And so today we're going to look at worship. What, is the, what does the word say about singing? Why do we do the things we do? That's the series we're in. And I think it's important for us to first think about what is worship? We throw that word a lot of times. This is our worship hour. This is the worship. This is our worship leader. What does that word mean? And so I ask our worship leader, Micah Dean, who happens to not be here today. He was so frustrated that he had scheduled some vacation on the one day we're talking about worship only. Um, But we love you, Micah, if you're listening. Uh, But here's what Micah said in his absence. This is what he said uh, about worship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Meaning that all that I say, all that I think, and all that I do is consumed with and points back to the person of Jesus Christ. Man, that's a great, great, great definition of worship from our worship pastor. Whatever I do, whatever I say, whatever I think, it points back to Jesus and is rooted in his truth. And so it's a response to who God is. Love that. Love that. Some, some of you are familiar with Louis Giglio. Anybody ever heard of Louis Giglio? Passion City. Some people have been to Passion uh, he's a pastor in, Atlantic, in Atlanta. This is uh, his definition of worship. He says, uh, worship is our response to God, both privately and corporately, for who he is and what he has done. It is demonstrated by our words and the way that we live. Our words and the way we did. So at the core of what worship is, it's our response to God. It's the response that we have when I know something about God. I respond to that and whatever that is. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, when you read uh, the text and you get to the word worship, what that literally means, the word, it means to respond by putting your face down to the ground and prostrate myself or to kneel down. That's what the word oftentimes means in the Old Testament, because what is that? That's a response to the presence of a living God who is holy and perfect. And so in the Old Testament, man, when God showed up, like in Kings chapter 7, man, all the gods, they laid down and they worshipped God. They prostrated themselves in front of God because it was their response to God. Listen, there are a million ways to worship God. Millions of ways. You can actually worship God in your work at work. I'm going to do this because I've been given gifts and abilities. I'm going to submit them to God and I'm going to do them the best I can. That can be your act of worship. 
We talked about a few weeks ago that giving is an act of worship. It's saying, God, you're worthy of all of my life. You're worthy of all of my finances. So I'm going to respond to you and I'm going to give back to you. And I think one of the main things that we see worship is, it's obedience. (laughs) Some of us don't like to think about that, but what's the greatest way to uh, point to the greatness of someone? It's to obey them, right? And so at the core, what you and I are created to do, we are created to worship God. And oftentimes that looks like we step in obedience with him because he is worth it. Even when I don't understand it, even when I'd rather do something else, what, what worship looks like is, God, your word says this. It doesn't line up with what I want to do, but I'm going to worship you because you're worthy. See, that word worship is really an old English word that stands for worth, ascribing worth. And so when we worship in thousands and millions of different ways, what we are doing is we're ascribing, we're, we're giving worth. We're speaking to the worth of our God that he's worthy And and so today what I want us to do is I want us to look at specifically uh, why do we worship through song when we gather together? We just don't want to just go through the motions and miss out on what we do. But why do we do that? I think it's a great question to ask today, and we're going to answer this hopefully. Uh, Let me ask you a question. How many of you in the room love singing? Does anybody love singing? Yeah, some of you are proud of that. And uh, some of you, uh, the person sitting beside you, well, I don't really like your singing, but... (laughs) That doesn't matter because what God says is make a joyful noise, not a beautiful noise, right? Some of us love singing, but some of us also hate singing. We don't want to sing. But here's the question. Does God care? Does God care if you really don't sing? I I, I think he does, actually. And I think what happens, though, if if we're in the camp, we're like, man, I just don't like singing. Some of us get in the routine of saying, man, the, the worship the singing that we do, it's, it's what I have to endure to get to the real meat of the day, which is the word of God and the study of the scripture. And some of us are like, man, I just endure the worship and singing and I hope that Derek preaches really quickly so I can get out of the door. Like some of us are there, if we're just being honest. And what's a struggle for me is that oftentimes we see worship through song as secondary. Secondary to why we gather. But I think what we'll see today is that when we gather together and we worship, there's nothing more central that we could do but to sing the praises of God together, to sing the truth of God together. And so I want to challenge all of us that we would frame up our view of our singing together in light of the truth that we're going to read today. And we would be transformed and we would allow the truth of God to challenge us and encourage us and stir us up to approach that time when we're singing together with great expectation because the Bible is not silent when it comes to singing. And there are over 400 texts that speak to singing, 400. And of those 400, there's about 50, right short of 50 texts that exhort us to to sing, command us, almost short of, and some are actually command us to sing. And so when we sing, we got to ask the question, why do we sing? And so if you're taking notes, there's the three things that we're going to look at today. Number one, we worship through singing to obey. We start out with a really fun one, I know. We worship, we sing through obedience. And, and what I love about God is he doesn't ask us to do what he isn't already willing to do or hasn't already done. Like we talked about that. When God says, hey, I want you to give a tithe or give an offering, he doesn't ask us that before he already does it, right? We talked about Jesus was the first fruit offering of the Father. He gave, and now he says, hey, you just follow me 
and you give. Well, the same thing is true in the scriptures when it talks about singing. God leads us by example. Uh, Zephaniah 3.17, this is an amazing verse. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, which that right there, I know I said this last time, but that sermon right there is amazing. I wish I could preach on that all day long, but it says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Do you know that you serve a God and follow a God who sings over you? And the invitation he says is, hey, I want you to join me in singing. I'm a God who loves to sing, and I've made you to sing, and so will you join with me in singing? And what we see also in the life of Jesus, the one who is the perfect imprint of the Father, the perfect imprint. When you see Jesus, you see God fully. And what we see in Jesus is he also sings. And so if you're in your Bible, Matthew chapter 26, I'm going to read verse 30 and verse 31. Verse 30 says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now, now this is uh, a really interesting text. Because the backstory of this is that Jesus knows that he is going to be handed over uh, to the religious leaders that night. And he knows that the next day he is going to be crucified. So just think about that because he says uh, the, the shepherd is going to be struck and the flock is going to scatter. So Jesus is not naive about this moment. This was one of the weightiest and heaviest moments of Jesus' life. And we know that because when he goes to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, just a little bit after that, what's it say? It says that he sweats blood. That he's overwhelmed with what is on the horizon for him. That he knows that he's going to step into the Father's will and obey, and he's going to die a death, a gruesome death on the cross. He knows that in the context. And what does Jesus do at one of the most pivotal times of his life? Just think about this. He gathers the people together that he loves. He gets together. And what's he do? They sing together. They sing the praises of God. This word hymns is not like he's busting out the old hymnal book that some of us were raised in. Uh, This word hymn is the Greek word humneo which literally means to sing the praises of God. And so I think it's interesting that Jesus, at the most pivotal time in his life up to this point, what's he do? He gathers together and he sings praises to God to remind him who his father is and to also encourage those around him that his God is worthy of praise, even if it means that he's gonna be killed. I think that should challenge some of us how we view our ability to worship because a lot of times when we come into this room, um, the outside circumstance of our life dictates the temperature at which we worship. Anybody else that way? Like if I'm having a bad day and I'm kind of down, then I'm gonna come in here. I'm just gonna let everybody know that I'm just gonna kind of sit here with my coffee and maybe not stand up, right? Because I allow my circumstance to dictate the level of my worship. But what Jesus would say is in the midst of the storm and the midst of the coming storm, the impending storm, listen, what do you do? You come together and you sing the praises of God. It's beautiful, so beautiful. And Jesus asks us to do the same thing. And so we see our, our Savior and our example, Jesus, this is what he did. He sung to his Father. And so we want to be obedient and follow in his footsteps, and so we sing. But we also see in the scriptures, both New and Old Testament, that there are tons of exhortations. Uh, there's a psalm right here that we're going to see where it starts out by saying, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord. All the earth, sing to the Lord. Is everybody clear? It says, sing to the Lord. 
Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. So David is saying, church, sing to the Lord. It's an exhortation. It's an invitation. Sing, sing, sing. Sing praises to God. Old Testament psalm, all throughout the psalms. Exhortations to sing. Exhortation to praise. Exhortations to worship. And then we get in the New Testament, and we have Paul who writes to the church of Ephesus and the church of Colossae. And in both uh, uh, books, he gives them another exhortation. He says, hey, you guys need to come together and you need to get around the word of God. And as you come around the word of God, you need to love one another. And it says, as you love one another, as you center on the truth of God, it says that you are to sing hymns to one another in spiritual songs. Sing hymns together in spiritual songs. And so we see, man, Jesus, he sung hymns to God. We see David the guy who was after God's own heart, he sung to God and he said, hey, you should be singing to God. And then we see Paul, one of the heroes of our faith. He says, listen, when you come together, sing. So church, one of the reasons why we sing is to walk in obedience. The second reason why we, we sing is to, um, to remember, to remember. Now, how many of you have ever had a song stuck in your head? Anybody other than me? I think we all have, right? Um, And and listen, how many of you have ever uh, thought back to when you were a kid and a song comes on the radio and immediately, like, you sing uh, verbatim and your kids look at you like, who are are you? Anybody else ever done that? Uh, Let me just run a little test here just to kind of test your uh, music memory. Uh, Don't say this out loud, uh, but I want you in your head to think of the blank when I say blank, okay? Uh, Let me start with one of my favorites. Uh, I did an air band to this song. Uh, You guys know what that is, a lip sync contest to this song. Uh, Too legit, too legit to quit. How many of you ever remember that song, right? Because it's in your bed. Let me ask you another one. Uh, This is the first and last time I ever referenced Britney Spears, but here it goes. Oops, I did it again. Okay, and now that song's gonna be in your head. I apologize. Uh, we've got some prayer afterwards for you. <laughs> but, but the reason why is because God created you to absorb and remember words that are tied to melodies. And we bang our head against the word because we don't wanna hear Britney Spears, but there's a reason God created us to remember when words are put to melodies. That's how you were created. I spent a year in the industry of memory care and Alzheimer's. I led a unit out in Katy, and, and one of the major um, breakthroughs that they're seeing is, is music um, bringing back memory and, and bringing back um, some cognitive ability in those that are struggling mentally with Alzheimer's. And so you would see a person who was downcast, who had no life in them, you would see them put on a headset. And they would go back to their generation, generations ago when they were listening to music, whatever that genre was, and we would put it on their head, and immediately you would see them start lighting up. You would see their countenance change, the smile on their face. And some of them who had been nonverbal for a long time, I think I see Miss Susan back there. She was one of the ones that just pours her heart for these, uh, these people that are struggling with memory. But she was in some of the rooms where they would play music and, and they would see this something would fire in the brain where there was nothing a minute ago. See, parts of the brain would begin to fire, would fire. You see, God created you and me with the capacity to absorb music and to remember music. And so why do we gather together and sing? One of the reasons is so that we can remember the truth of God. And we see this in, in Deuteronomy. I love how God works. Flip over to Deuteronomy if you have a, a Bible. This is Old Testament. This is um, 
when Moses is about to die and God's given him some instruction to say, hey, before you leave, I want you to do a few things for Joshua who's getting ready to take over Israel. So Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 19. It says, now therefore write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it on their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. Look at verse 22. It says, so Moses wrote these, this song that same day and taught it to the people of Israel. Look at what God's doing. He says, listen, I know how I created you. Moses is about ready to die, and now you're going to have Joshua taking over. And so this is what I want you to do. Moses, write down this song, teach it to your people, and then sing it. Because when you do, you're going to remind yourself about who I am as God and what I've done for you. See, see God wired us to know music, to receive music, so that we could remember. And so we see that he tells Moses, go write the song so you don't forget about who I am. I don't want Israel to walk away from me. Go write a song. And so when we gather together, what are we doing? We're remembering the truth of God. <laughs> what are we doing? We're preaching to ourselves, church. When, I get, when we sing a worship song, God, you are good. That's proclamation of truth. And what happens is when we gather together and we center around this truth, we have unity. We're speaking out truth. We're singing out truth. We're allowing that to absorb into our minds. And what happens is we begin to believe what we're singing. And as we believe what we're singing, it leads us to obedience, And so in those moments like Israel, when they're going to walk away from God, when we have those moments where we're far from God, what he says is, I'm going to give you something to remember. And so a lot of times when we sing together and we run away from God, for whatever reason, he'll remind us of his truth through a song. He'll remind us of who he is and who I am. And he does that through song often. You see, God wants us to remember his truth. And so really when our worship team sings, I just want y'all to know that they take a, a lot of... Um, vetting that goes into the songs that we sing. Like they don't want us corporately singing songs that are not filled with the truth of God. And so they, they look and say, God, what are you doing? What truth do we want to be singing out so that our people can remember who you are and what you've done in their life to save them? And so we sing to remember God's truth. Uh, the third and final thing uh, we're gonna see here is we worship through singing to align to align with God. Now, now this is interesting because uh, what I see is that when we worship together, we, we stop striving. At least that's what we should be doing. When we come to worship God, to sing his truth, I've got my focus on him and it's less about me. It's not about what I've got to do. It's what God wants to do. It's who he is is where I'm singing. And so in those moments, we stop striving. We stop just white knuckling everything and we can just receive See, see, I think worship actually positions us to receive from God revelation, to receive from God healing, to receive from God whatever he wants to do so that we can align with him. So when we worship God, we stop trying so hard and we just rest. Now, the reason why God pulls his blessing away from us when we try to do and try to white knuckle and try to do everything is because if I got the fruit that I was trying to produce on my own, my worship wouldn't go vertical, it would go to myself. And I would begin to worship Derek and lift myself up. And so God says, Derek, I don't want you worshiping yourself. That would be a really bad move. And so I'm gonna pull my favor away from you. And this is what I'm gonna do. If you get to the place where you can worship me for who I am and you can rest, that's when I'm gonna give you my grace and my mercy. I'm gonna empower you 
because then you'll know that it's from me and you'll turn and you'll worship me. And so we worship God to align with him. Listen, when we worship, God works. We, we, we don't work when we worship, but while we worship, God is at work. And we see this throughout the scriptures. Uh, I'm going to give you a little homework. I know this is the first week of school, and so your kids have homework, so I'm going to give you some homework. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20, uh, I want you to go read that this week. And I'm going to give you the little cliff note version for you that don't do your homework. Second um, Chronicles talks about um, a battle that's getting ready to happen between the Israel, the nation of Israel, who is God's chosen people, and these other armies. And their armies are coming at them, and God just tells Israel, wait. Don't do anything. You just rest and, and wait. And so they're getting a little anxious, and then God tells them uh, something very interesting. He doesn't tell them, hey, go sharpen up your swords, go make a bunch of spears. He, he actually says, this is the game plan when you're on my team. You go and select a few men to lead the army. And those few men are going to lead in worship. You send them out in front of you and you just tell them to sing the praises of God, to sing of his love forevermore. And what we see in this story is that God sends them out. The army follows these men that are singing worship to God, praise to God. And what happens is it says that that God actually creates an ambush with all the armies. And all the other armies are laid low. It says that there were just so many bodies let out. And listen, not one sword was pulled out. Only worship let out. And God used the worship. He worked through the worship to create victory. And it says that it took them three days to collect all the spoil from the battle. (laughs) You see, when we worship, God is at work. We see this throughout the entire Bible. If you've got your Bible, this is the last verse I want you to turn to. This is Acts chapter 16. We're going to see um, another amazing example about how God works when we worship, when we stop striving and we recognize who God is. In the midst of our storm, in the midst of our doubts, when we respond to the revelation of who God is and his truth, God is at work. Whether you feel it or not, whether you recognize it or not, when we worship together, God is at work. Acts 16, verse 25. Paul and Silas are in prison and um, they're getting beaten and they're thrown into a cell that is not like our prisons, but like a deep dungeon, like nasty. And it's midnight and we're gonna see what happened in verse 25. It says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Don't, don't just read over that. Can you imagine being beaten, being in prison, likely thinking that you're gonna have your head chopped off the next day. It says what they're doing is they're gathered together in their cell. They're worshiping God. They're singing hymns and they're praying and the prisoners were listening to them. Do you know that people at your work are watching how you respond to what's happening in your life? And what we see here is that they worship even when everything looks dire. They worship. And it says, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. See, I think there is power in God when we worship him with honor and authenticity. I think we see this in the Old Testament and in Chronicles. I think we see this in the book of Acts that when we come together as a people of God, and we ascribe worth to him, we get our eyes off of ourselves, and we worship him, that something is in our midst. God is at work. And, and, and so I want to challenge you. Do you think that's possible? 
The prayer that Micah Dean, our pastor, our worship pastor, always shares, and I join him in this prayer, is that we would have a church that if I'm five minutes late, I'm running my fastest 40 of my life to get myself in here so that I don't miss out on what God's going to do in worship. That, that I'm not going to just always come in late or kind of just walk in or kind of hang out, but, but we would be a people that are so excited. Man, we want to give honor and worth to God in song, and in that, man, we don't know what God could do. So I get excited. I don't want to miss out on what God's going to do in my presence. When we were in Ohio, um, I don't know, four or five years ago, honey, uh, I was not a pastor. I was just a normal engineer guy going to church. And one Sunday during the uh, worship set, uh, I was just praising God, just singing his praises, giving his glory, not thinking about anything, just receiving, right? I wasn't striving, not trying to be somebody, not trying to impress anybody, just worshiping God. And, and in that moment, specifically in that time, God ordained, uh, he gave me this really clear vision I'm not going to go into details because that's really not important. But he gave me this vision. And what this vision was doing as I was worshiping, it was calling me to confession. It was calling me to confess and repent. And so as I'm standing there worshiping God, I've got this vision from God. And, I, and I'm, I'm seeing this and I'm recognizing the weight that this confession is going to have on me. And so I begin to weep. And we were in a, a church where, uh, you know, we had a stage, but there was no altar. But I said, man, I don't know. I just got to respond to God in this moment. So I got out of my seat during worship, and I came down to the front, and I knelt down, and I began to bawl like a baby. Thankfully, I don't wear mascara because it would have been so bad. And my pastor, Pastor Matthew Johnson, he's like, what's going on? Derek has just lost it. And so he's looking around for tissues, and what do I do? And so he's bringing, like, a basket of tissues to me. In that moment of worship, God gave me an option to align with him. Derek, Derek, I want you to confess some sin that's in your life, and I want you to join me. And listen, in in that moment of worship, my marriage changed completely. (laughs) My marriage, my beautiful bride here, changed completely because I had lived in so much darkness. And God said, Derek, now's the time. I want you to go bring it into the light. My, my ability to be a father completely changed in that moment. The strongholds of the enemy broke down like the, the, the jail cell was open and the cuffs were broken off. God wants to do that in you as well. He desires that. And so in that moment, he brought me freedom and liberty that I never thought possible. But guess what? It was during worship. What if God wants to do some of those things in our midst while we worship? What if God wants to give you some freedom while you sing to him? What if God wants to give you a prayer language while we sing to him? What if God wants to give you a word of prophecy for somebody else to bring them freedom while we worship him? What if God wants to heal you physically while you worship him? What if he wants to reveal his love and grace to you in a way you've never thought possible while we worship him? Church, I want to challenge you. Worship is not our secondary option. It's not the thing we do to get to the main course. No, our worship is essential. When we worship and gather in the word, that's crucial. When we worship together and singing, that is pivotal. And we don't want to miss out on what God may want to do in our midst when we come together in unity and ascribe worth and honor and fame to our King. And so I want to challenge you. Does that align with the way you worship through song when we come to this church? I want to invite you to have some expectation when we sing that God may actually want to do something. He actually might want to work while you worship. 
So I wanna invite you to start viewing worship in that way. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna sing uh, four or five songs at the end here, and we'd set this up so that we can uh, really just get our attention on God and we can just press in. We're gonna have some prayer ministry about halfway through. But before I get there, you know, there's always just some question of what's acceptable to worship. And so I did a little deep dive uh, in this word this week, and I'm gonna cover a few things because, you know, we're at a place uh, uh, where we meet together where there's tons of freedom, where we don't want you guys looking like I do. We don't say everybody's gotta raise their hand, but in order for them to be freedom, there's gotta be a ton of grace. And so if you don't understand why somebody is responding a certain way to God's glory, what I'm asking you is maybe they're worshiping God with full honor and integrity, and so I'm asking you to give some grace. And so if you see somebody standing with their hand up, that's a question we should say, is that biblical? And so I I put down a few things here. This is a sample. This is not all-inclusive list, all right? But hopefully this brings some freedom in the room to respond to God. So the first one, dancing. Like if you see me getting some airtime in church, that's biblical. There's tons of scriptures. Look at all of them. Even David, he danced before the Lord. Psalms, all the time. Look at three, four Psalms. Talk about dancing before God. And so, man, if you want to do a little dance, man, there's freedom here to do that. If you want to raise your hands. You know, some of us grew grew up where you had like your hands are down. And and I get that. And I think God gives us tons of grace in that, honestly. But, but if you want to raise your hand, listen, that's biblical. That's just a response to who God is. It's a, man, God, you are worthy. You are great. I'm going to raise my hand in response to you. That's very biblical. If you want to clap your hand and get crazy, listen, you can clap your hands in this church. Biblical, Psalms 47.1. If you want to prostrate or kneel down before God in, his, in the presence of God, listen, that's completely biblical. Tons of background support. If you want to cry, if you want to lament, we see Job did that in the middle of Job's loss It says in the middle of it, Job worshiped God. Jesus, on the night before he was taken away to be put on the cross, he worshiped God in song. And so this place is a place where you can lament, you can weep, whatever's going on, that's worship to God, it's response to him. And then lastly, if you wanna give a shout, listen, there's freedom in this place. This is not a to-do list, okay, for all of you type A personalities. Like we're not gonna say, I got five out of the seven, it was a good Sunday. But hear my heart, hear my heart. Some of us come from a little bit more conservative background where we might pass judgment on somebody that's raising their hands or somebody who's on their knees. Listen, this is a place of freedom. Freedom requires grace. And here's the thing, what I see throughout scripture is that oftentimes radical worship offends people. And so if you're offended by somebody else's worship, the first question you should ask is what's wrong with me? When the lady came to put the entire year's worth of her salad perfume on the Jesus' feet, she poured it out in worship. All the people were saying, why is she doing that? They were offended at her worship. So I'm gonna challenge you. If you're offended by somebody's worship, don't say, man, what's wrong with them? I think the first question, God, God, what is wrong with me? Can I trust that you're doing something in their life? Can I give them grace? Because you've given me grace. Why don't we stay in church and we're gonna worship Hey, Lord, you have given us freedom to follow you. You've invited us onto this wild journey called faith. Lord, I ask that you would stretch our understanding of your presence, that you would stretch our revelation of your goodness and your worth, and that in light of that revelation of who you are and who you've made us in Christ, that we would respond with honesty and authenticity to who you are. 
So Lord, as your people come together and as we unite around the name of Jesus and we sing worship to you, Lord, I ask that you would work in us, that you would make us more in the image of your son as we worship, that you would bring freedom, that you would break off lies, that you would empower us with your spirit, that you would make us more like your son. So Lord, as we worship, we honor you. We say you are the only one. You alone, Jesus, are our king, worthy of all our praise. So church, let's praise God for the next few minutes.